as we read through this part of Luke, um, I'd like you to, as you pay attention to the text, ask yourself what surprises you in this section of Luke. What's, what, what surprises you? Right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Luke 17 in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled through along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Hmm. Okay, so what stands out? What surprises you? What was like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, I mean, you may know the passage, but just, you know, anything that stands out really exciting. Before they have meaning even Okay, that's a really good point. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit, a bit later on. But that's a very good observation. Thank you. Yes, Bill? Well, only one of them came back. Only one comes back, which is a bit of a surprise, you think. Yeah? Yeah? Fair enough, Dawn? Yeah, done. Between Jesus and the and priests, the something, okay, they get cleansed at that point, which is surprising. Yeah, I thought they get cleansed when they got there, and they don't know what they told us. <laughs> Once they got to the destination? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I saw a hand over here somewhere. What was it? No? Okay. Anything else? The Sagi's got a second bite of the cherry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, go for it. Yeah, and I would, I would say they all have faith, because you just told them, go and show yourself, and they did it. And the dog plays, so it didn't tell them you're going to be placed, it just said, Go and show yourself, which was difficult. Yes, an interesting thought because they all have faith, but there's something different about the, the faith of the one. Yeah. It's something different there, so we'll come back to that. Simon, did you, was your hand up? I think uh, someone already pointed out that he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan, I think. Okay, yeah, that's a surprise in the story. Yeah, no, it's quite right. There are quite a lot of surprising things in this passage, or puzzling things. Yeah, Dan, go for well, what do you think that when you said to all two of them go to the priest and he was cleansed, that even though they were coming to be cleansed, you know, they thought, okay, we don't find we can this nation, we reach the priest, maybe they be healed, maybe somehow turn back to normal again, they were over before. One just like sort of drive one's back, it's an actually complete destination to the priests. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Go to the priest and the So then the nine are like, we best make the 
full journey, otherwise, yeah. what's going to happen? Are they not obeying Jesus by making the full journey? I mean, it's interesting that in the passage, at least the way Luke's recorded, as far as we know, Jesus doesn't say, um, go, you will be healed, and then see the priests. Jesus actually doesn't say you're going to be healed, does he? Just show yourself to the priests. So by <coughs> faith and in trust, they make that move, and then there's cleansing even before they get to the priests. Uh, healing at that, at that point. Interesting, isn't it? Let's talk about where we are, just so we know uh, what's going on in, the, in Jesus' story in the book of Luke as we're going through Luke. Um, so, Jesus is somewhere along this journey. Uh, this is his last journey to Jerusalem. We're going to get there quite soon in Luke. And uh, he's on the borders, probably, of, of, of Galilee and Samaria. We don't know exactly where this incident took place, but that's, that's sort of that wine line, which is not terribly clear, but there you go. That's roughly his journey to Jerusalem. Uh, ultimately to his crucifixion. So that's kind of where we are. As we uh, think about this, I think there are three things that stand out to me from the passage about uh, who does Jesus say, right? Because at the end, he says, let me just tell you this. <coughs> when Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well, the word, word for well is the same word as for saved. So it seems to me that Jesus is saying something more than about healing. The healing is for the ten, but the, maybe there's an extra dose of, extra something about the, 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 the faith of the one that comes back to Jesus. And there's something there about salvation. And I think Luke is telling us something about Jesus' heart for all people. That is, even the Samaritans. And because we know that because the Samaritan has been used as a hero in the parable of the Samaritan and other incidents in Jesus' life when he deals with outsiders as a whole, as a theme through the book of Luke, the outsiders are brought in. The kingdom is different. The old covenant, new covenant, there's a big difference. The foreigners are welcome in, welcome them in, the, the outsiders and so on. Women, the, the sick and so on. And here we get uh, Samaritans and sick people at the same time. So we've got this whole thing going on here. And who does he say? Well, I think the first thing that we see is that Jesus helps those who know they're desperate. I mean, how can anybody get saved unless they know they're desperate for salvation? How can anybody get healed unless they are desperate for healing? I mean, uh, uh, most of you here will know my, my wife's a GP. And too often, too often, she sees people in her surgery who are so ill at this point that there is now no cure. If they had come when they first had symptoms, they could have been cured. And that the symptoms that they, they saw and they knew that were there did not alert them to be desperate enough for a healing. And so they come too late. And this can happen spiritually too. That we come too late. Instead of coming when we know we need to come to God. And these ten men know, don't they? I mean, they are lepers. They are, and the word leprosy in the New Testament can mean a number of skin diseases. But nonetheless, the point was, whatever your skin disease, you had the same consequences. Which is that you were excluded from society. And they did what the law required. They stood a good distance off. I forget the exact distance they made to state. But it's quite some distance. And the ten of them do. And isn't it interesting that in their... Um, in their distress, they are united in a way that they would never have been if they had not been in distress. Because a Samaritan would not have hung out with Jews. And Jews would not have hung out with Samaritans. The only, act, I think the only implication we can take from this passage is that nine of the lepers were Jews, and one was a Samaritan. And they actually, that breaks down the barriers. And it's kind of an ironic thing that that breaks down the barriers. But all ten of them come to Jesus out of desperation. And I think about my own life, and you can probably think about yours, those of us who've come to God in that way. God intervened in our lives at a time when we were ready to admit our need for Him. We were desperate enough. We were like, God, I can't handle this. 
I can't handle my life, I can't handle my guilt, I can't handle my confusion. And maybe that's even true for some of us even in this room today, or maybe we know people in that situation, and God's given us a chance to go and say to them, there's, there's something for you, if you're desperate enough to admit your need. The ten men stand at a distance, but they shout. They know they can't come to Jesus directly or fully, but they shout, calling out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They shout because they don't know how busy he is or whether he's even interested. I think, I think they hope he is. But Jesus was on his way into um, to the, the village here, to, uh, into a village, and he might have had an important meeting to go to. So they shout loud. And they call him, interestingly, Jesus Master. Master is an interesting <coughs> word. You generally would have expected them to say Rabbi. Jesus Rabbi. Rabbi, ha ha have mercy on us. But they say Master, they recognize there's something different about him. He's not like any other religious leader. He's not like any other religious figure. There's something different. It's the word um, epistata, which means the chief. It's like saying, Jesus, chief. Or Jesus, commander. Jesus, the one with power. These are, rabbis aren't people with power. A master is someone with power. So they come to him because they believe he has the power. I think that's true when we become a Christian, but I think honestly for myself, and, and I think it's true for all of us, Consistent change in our lives and spiritual growth depends on us continuing to have that sense of, I'm coming to Jesus because he has the power, I do not. Things I can't change in my life, things I find frustrating, challenges, sins that I really want to see out of my life, it's Jesus that can do that because he's the master, he's the one with the power. We need to come to him with desperation, the right kind of desperation. He's able and willing to help us with our needs. That's uh, uh, passage. Uh, Hebrews 4 is a passage I love. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's ready and available to help us in our time of need. You're too tired to live the Christian life? It's okay, he can help you. You're too fed up with God not answering your prayers? It's okay, he can help you. You're too um, uh, 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 discouraged by your own sinfulness? Jesus is available to help you. We have to come to the throne of grace. I mean, only the desperate receive the help that they need. I think it's the first thing I see. second thing that I notice here is that Jesus heals the obedient. It's been mentioned already that uh, the ten take off to the priests, which they're supposed to do. That is the, uh, the idea. Luke, if you want to look it up later in Leviticus 13 and 14, and give the instructions from the old covenant there of what you do when you go to see the priest. And uh, they go, as they're told to, and they are healed on the way. I mean, what an amazing thought. I mean, if, if any of us seen le people with leprosy up close? Anybody? Yeah, Arch in India, maybe? Was it? Yeah, yeah, I've seen one or two in India. It's, I was thinking about putting some pictures up, but I, I decided not to, because it is honestly so disturbing when you really see what leprosy can do to somebody. It might actually be hard to focus on anything else that I say or that we do here. So I decided not to put the pictures up, but if just imagine the most disfiguring kind of disease and then suffering from that, and then you hear someone say, go to a priest, go to a place, to a person, and you turn, and you walk away. And 
and it's gone. It's, I mean, what an amazing thing. And, and it's because of their obedience, isn't it? I mean, I know, yes, it's the power of God, but what, what is it that sort of enables that power into their life? It is a step, a, 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 a movement, a, a decision of obedience that might not make sense because going to the priest is what you do after you've been healed, not while you're, not before you're healed. So they, they make the move before the healing, which is not logical. But they make it out of a, a, a faithful obedience. I think God still works the same way today, through simple faith. Um, this time of year is always very poignant for me because um, it, it's uh, this time of year, this month of February, is the time of year when God intervened in my life in a very direct way that ended up in me becoming a disciple. Now, uh, this is when I was 20. And he'd done many things in my life until up to that point. But it was in February 1984, which tells you my age if you want to work it out, that uh, in February 84, when I was 23, um, it was when it, it was very direct. And what happened was this 33 years ago, right around today or thereabouts, today to be yesterday, uh, a young lady was writing a letter. And a letter, for those of you who don't know what a letter is, <laughs> uh, you write on a piece of paper, put it in a thing on an envelope, and put a stamp in, in a red box. That's, that's so, golden. That There's a gold, but you can put it in a gold one if you like. Yeah. Though there weren't any gold ones in 1984, but never mind. So anyway, a young lady was writing a letter to me, uh, uh, 33 years ago, right around this day. And it arrived in my house on, on, on the 14th of February. And the reason it arrived on the 14th of February is because that was my birthday. Still is my birthday, <laughs> as it happens. And, and it was a letter wishing me happy birthday from a friend I'd met at university and who wrote to me wishing me happy birthday. And then at the end of the letter, sort of on, off, off the, um, just by the by, by the way, um, and she, she lived in London, she moved to London, and she said, by the way, um, I found a really great church in London. It's called the Central London Church of Christ, which is the name in those days. And uh, it's great. And uh, I bumped into this New Zealand girl who introduced me to the church. And if you ever come, come to London, come through London, please pay us a visit. She knew I was a churchgoer and, and that kind of thing, but she also knew that my faith was very... Inadequate, weak, or inc incomplete, I don't know. something like that. So I received that letter, and I thought that was very kind of her to remind, remember my birthday, and I thought, that's interesting, tell me about the church. Okay, but I had no plans to be in London, no plans to visit London, no plans to move to London, no plans to be anywhere near London, ever. <laughs> in fact, if you'd asked me what was the last place I wanted to live, I'd have said London. <laughs> I'd much, much rather live in Birmingham. I mean, that's where I studied, and I, I love Birmingham. Place or in Manchester, where, near where Archie is, and I mean, I'd rock much more. somewhere, anywhere other than London. Anyway, for some reason, that letter, that letter stuck with me. And that letter was written by Julie D'Souza, um, who is, uh, we don't look any different today, do we? Uh, uh, so, 
no hope without God in the world. Ephesians uh, 2 reminds us of this. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by the blood of Christ. We are or have been the Samaritan here. We are the ones who are far away and have been brought close by the blood of Christ. Amazing thing. Jesus wants to save the stranger. The gratitude is very strong here. He comes and runs and falls at Jesus' feet, which is a, a smelly place. Uh, at least my feet are. And, uh, he, he, but he doesn't care. And he's loud. It's, um, what does it say here? A loud voice. Praising God in a loud voice. He doesn't care who he is. He doesn't care. He's just grateful. And that's a good, um, a good example of, of how proud we should be of what Jesus has done in our lives. That we want to tell people. I mean, it, it's amazing what he's done. Yeah, you know, we need to be appropriate in some contexts and, and careful and subtle in others. But the bottom line is, it's the gratitude that makes it pour out. It's the gratitude for what Jesus has done that gives us the courage and the boldness. Grateful people are bold people. They'll say thank you to whoever they can because they're really grateful. And others notice, but they don't really care. Loud here is the Greek word mega. <laughs> so he's talking in a mega voice right here. It's really loud. Really good megaphone. And faith is the key. Faith is the key. Your faith has made you well. Faith motivated by uh, what gratitude and some obedience and trust in Jesus. And that breaks down every barrier. Faith breaks down barriers. Gratitude breaks down barriers. I'll finish with telling you a story. Um, 92 years ago, a man was born, and he grew up without a great deal of education. He left school at the age of 12. Sorry for you teachers here. Uh, you wouldn't like it, or it wouldn't be good probably for uh, any of the children in your schools to leave at the age of 12. But in those days, it was a bit different. He left school at the age of 12 and joined the army. At the age of 14, he was in France at the beginning of the Second World War. At the age of 14, I don't know how he got into the army at the age of 14. Um, I wasn't even shaven at the age of 14, so I don't know how he managed to get in. But he got into the army. He was in what was called the British Expeditionary Force, um, which was in France at the beginning of the Second World War. It was overwhelmed by the German advance, and he was amongst, there were 400,000 troops there, 300 and maybe 350,000 were evacuated, I think another 40 or 50,000 were captured or killed. He was one of, in his company, uh, he was one of only three people who survived and were evacuated and taken on the ships across back to Britain and, uh, and brought back to the UK. He didn't see any other fighting until 1944 because all that time he was training and he was training uh, to be a paratrooper. And in 1944 he was uh, <coughs> in a plane that uh, took paratroops over to Arnhem, if you've seen the film The Bridge Too Far, and that's an old film. And uh, so he, he was dropped with thousands of other Allied soldiers in an attempt to take certain bridges that would help the Allied advance against Germany. It was disastrous, but that particular part was disastrous. He himself was shot and wounded very badly in the stomach. 
Um, he lay there and the Germans captured him. And the, the German medics patched him up uh, to just keep him just alive. And he um, and they gave him back to the British. They didn't take him behind their lines and take him back because they thought he's so badly injured, he won't be any threat to us. He won't recover enough to be able to fight the war anymore. So they sent him back to the British side of the lines. So the British medics then picked him up and took him back and did as much as they could, but they thought he was going to die. So they, they sent word to, the, to England and got his parents to come out, which was astonishing that, during that period of the war. Anyway, his parents came out <coughs> to sort of see him for the last time and see him say goodbye to him as they thought he would die. Parents came out, they said goodbye to him, and he rallied and survived, and then went back to England. And uh, to this day, he has to wear a special, um, like a girdle, around his waist since then because of, because of the severity of the injuries. He's now 92 years old. Five years ago, uh, after his wife died, he moved into a kind of retirement home, and in that retirement home was a lady, uh, uh, um, uh, a lady from the church in the Thames Valley, Churches of Christ. Some of us might know Tony and Karen Heath, who were in the Northwest for a you know, time many years ago, and uh, Karen's mother, um, Brenda, uh, was also moved into the uh, retirement home, and uh, this. Uh, old gentleman uh, took fancy to Brenda and thought, I, I like her, I think I'd like to marry her. So she said, well, why don't you come to my church? So he's been coming along to church for the last, uh, I don't know, several years now. Um, and uh, a year ago, almost, was in the right place at the time to become a Christian, but something didn't work out because of some challenges in his past with his family life. <coughs> Anyway, so just this, uh, this uh, beginning of this year, he got desperate enough, and he recognized that only Jesus had the power to heal what he really needed in his soul, in his 92nd year. And so he was more serious in his Bible studies, and Sid, was his name, Sid went off to Chris and Jane Watkins' house on Tuesday this week, and was baptized into Christ. And so... 92 years old. Yeah, Sid right here. Chris Burtles, some of you may know. Chris Watkins. And he was baptized into Christ. And I'll tell you, I've known Sid for a while now, and there's a special joy on his face. A very, very special joy. As he finally took that most difficult decision. He's fought a lot of battles, Sid, in his life, in different ways. And yet, this was the most difficult one, or the most important one. And he decided to have the humility to be obedient. At this stage of life, I think perhaps, being at 92, that might be harder to become a Christian at that point in life than any other in some ways. You might have so many regrets, or so many chances for bitterness, or, or so much understanding that you think you may not need God, but at 92... What an amazing thing. The humility of your obedient and the gratitude is all over him. All over him. He's just uh, so grateful. Uh, I don't think Brenda is going to marry him. But uh, uh, I gather that's not her plan. But I think that doesn't matter anymore. Right? It doesn't matter anymore. Because the more important thing has been achieved. Jesus has healed him. Jesus has saved him. His faith has made him well. Why don't we pray together and thank God for that and ask God to settle in our hearts what He's taught us today.
Father, we want to thank you so much that Jesus came to this earth and lived our lives and showed us your power so that we could trust him and have faith in you. Father, thank you for the Samaritan who was a leper. Thank you that he came back with that gratitude in his heart. Father, I pray, we look forward to meeting him one day, just asking him what, what was it that drove him back to Jesus and, and made him so grateful. Father, I thank you for his example. Pray that myself and for all of us here, you'll help us to imitate his faith and his humility. Help us always to come to you when things are difficult. Uh, always when things seem impossible. Like Tunley talked about in the communion, and with, our, with us things are really uh, impossible, but there is, there's nothing that's impossible for you. Help us to really believe that, Father. Help us to uh, let our gratitude shine out to other people. Help us to be uh, great, so grateful to you that we don't care who notices and knows. And indeed, Father, to take this good, good news to other people, good news of the kingdom, that all are welcome, all the strangers are welcome. Father, give us faith to be obedient, even if we don't see the outcome. We can't see how the outcome can, uh, can materialize. That was nonetheless to have faith and act in obedience. Obedience motivated out of gratitude and faith in you. And Father, we thank you so much, especially for Sid. Pray, Father, that you'll be strong in his body and in his uh, spirit. Uh, thank you for his humility. Thank you for the example he set us. Pray, Father, that, uh, that he will grow, go from strength to strength. Pray, Father, that perhaps other people in that retirement home will become Christians too. Pray, Father, that they'll be able to leave him and Brenda can leave a legacy behind them that will honor you and glorify you. Thank you for your patience with us, Father. Uh, I'm sure it must, be, it must be difficult for you and we, we could be more desperate, and yet we aren't. Help us, Father, to uh, not take your patience for granted, but to be grateful for the patience you've given us so far. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his power. Thank you for his compassion. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.